Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at a range of different ways we get around from cars to buses to trains and planes. I'm David Brown and in this program we take a look at the latest news stories with David Campbell including the Chinese car maker Great Wall looks at bidding for Fiat Chrysler. And we have an interview with an Aussie who went to the famous Laguna Seca race circuit in California for the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion, where he raced against the might of America's historic racing fraternity and won his class. One of the cars racing there was worth $68 million. Not his. And in our panel discussion with Errol Smith, we take a breezy look at some quirky news stories, including a problem with roads in Ireland. A politician claims that there are angry fairies sabotaging a highway. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news. China's Great Wall Motor Company has said it is interested in bidding for Fiat Chrysler automobiles, which owns brands including Jeep and the truck maker Ram. Recently, the US publication Automotive News reported that a well-known Chinese automaker had made an offer this month, triggering a jump in the company's Milan-listed shares. Fiat Chrysler said that they are seeking a partner or buyer for the Italian-American group to help it manage rising costs comply with emissions regulations and develop technology for electric and self-driving cars. An acquisition by Great Wall Motors would be audacious and one of China's highest profile manufacturing deals to date. However, a spokesman from Fiat Chrysler said that there had been no approach from Great Wall and the company was focusing on driving ahead with its four-year growth plan. Tesla has been in the news lately following the launch of its Model 3 and the rapid rise in its share price, with the company overtaking General Motors and Ford in market capitalization. Now Tesla has announced plans to launch an electric big rig truck with a working range of up to 300 miles or 500 kilometers. Chief Executive Elon Musk has promised to release a prototype of the Tesla semi-truck in the next month or so in a bid to expand the company's market beyond luxury cars. The entrepreneur has tantalized the trucking industry with the prospect of a battery-powered heavy-duty vehicle that can compete with conventional diesels, which can travel up to 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers on a single tank of fuel. Tesla's electric prototype will be capable of handling the low end of the long-haul trucking sector. The governor of New York recently announced that state-owned drones will be used for the first time to monitor weekend traffic conditions at the 2017 New York State Fair as part of a multi-agency effort to help mitigate high vehicle volumes and make parking more efficient. Weekends are traditionally the highest attended period of the 13-day fair, often with heavy traffic volumes and near-capacity parking lots. The new drone technology will help the New York State Police Department and the New York State Department of Transport better monitor traffic and parking lot capacity with the aim of reducing delays for fairgoers. A Ferrari that has spent the past 40 years gathering dust and grime in a barn could sell for more than $2 million at auction. The 1969 Ferrari 365 GTB 4 Daytona is the only road-going example of the classic GT car built with a racing specification alloy body. 
The car was recently found in a barn in Japan where it has sat untouched for four decades. Sotheby's said while 1,200 versions of the 365 GTB 4 Daytona were produced, only five lightweight alloy competition cars, which dominated the 24-hour Daytona race, were built. Added to that, Ferrari commissioned only one street version of the Daytona with an aluminium body, and that is the car that has been discovered. It will go under the hammer later this month at the Ferrari factory in Italy. Sotheby believes, despite, or perhaps because of its condition, it is likely to sell for around $2 million. Cars are often featured in songs, and media giant Bloomberg has recently undertaken a study of what car brand is featured most often. Bloomberg analysed the last three years of top 20 songs and discovered many references to famous marks, including Cadillac, Corvette, Ferrari and Chevy. But the brand that was featured most was Rolls-Royce. Rolls-Royce was mentioned in 11 different hit songs spread out over the last three years. Ferrari was given nine mentions, Porsche 7, Lamborghini and Chevrolet 6. Bentley, Cadillac and Mercedes-Benz round out the list of automakers with five mentions apiece. And that has been the news. If you own a classic car, do you keep it at home in cotton wool or just look at it? Or do you drive it around, which can wear it out, or even run the risk of having an accident? If it's a sports car, might you even race it with added strain and increased danger? Ron Goodman owns a classic Porsche, a 356, and he has just won the Rolex Monterey Motorsport Reunion. He was the only Aussie in the event, and some of the cars he was racing against were worth tens of millions of dollars. Ron is on the line to tell us all about it. Ron, congratulations. I think you've been trying to win this event for some time. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Yeah, we have been. We've been trying now for five years and kept coming up as a bridesmaid, but... Uh finally won it this year. Tell me about the event. It's obviously uh, held at a race course and uh, you you race other vehicles of all sorts and sizes. Yeah, they hold it at Laguna Seca in California. Ah. It's probably the biggest historic event outside Le Mans. Uh, It attracts uh, over 600 competitors in different categories. Our category that we run in is from the uh, 1955 to 1962. Our car is a 54, but because it's so well-preserved, they put us into a higher grade, and we finally won that one. You were competing against cars of a similar performance, or in that age group, there could be anything from a race car to a Morris Minor, if you know what I mean. And, and you're exactly right. If you look at the field, there was a Morris Minor in it, <laughs> but that went right up to the uh, two six five GT Ferraris. One sold the night before for thirty eight million US dollars, oh and we were racing against it. There's also Corvettes. There's any, every single car that you could think about right across the board. My joke about the Morris Minor goes back to my youth, but you can actually you know, do a lot of work on the cars. Could, could I put a Morris Minor body on top of a Formula One car? What can you do? <laughs> That'd be great if we could do that. No, you can't. Yeah, would, there's very, very strict rules. They've got a very, very um, stringent criteria that they have to stick to. Our car still runs with the drum brakes. If, the, if it did not come out with it, you're not allowed to do it. 
and if you deviate from that, you won't get selected. They're, they're very, very stringent. How long's the race? Uh, go, there's three races over the day, and they go for each 25 minutes. I'm astounded. You must have done remarkably well. You work, you work on the car yourself? Uh, no, I've got uh, a crew, three guys, that we all go over together to do it. We also won the um, Car Off show at the Carmel show, and we won the best pit. So we had an absolutely fantastic weekend, and then the combination was winning a race. We've been coming a bridesmaid for the last few years, but finally to get to win was what we've been looking for, and we're over the moon with it. So there are a whole range of other categories as well, I guess? Oh, correct. Yeah, it goes right up to uh, like a 906 Porsche, the one Le Mans, they have their classes. There's, the event is something for a spectator that you shouldn't be missed. If, if you love your historic racing, it's something you should go over for. It's just any car that you can think of is actually there competing. You've uh, put together uh, an award-winning video about it. There's some beautiful machinery. Oh, absolutely. We, uh, we've done a documentary, The Road to Monterey. It won the German Auto Film Festival, and it was quite ironic. It all come about the first year they lost our car in New Zealand on its way over there, and we had to put it on a plane and fly it. So we thought, oh, we'll just reenact it the second year and do a little short video for YouTube. But they actually lost it again, and everything fell into place. We had some accidents, we had a lot of drama, and it, it couldn't have worked out better. The car, is it one you've had for a long time and loved forever? Yeah, we were actually, uh, it shows this in the, in the movie, we were actually sitting at Le Mans, and I said that I wanted to buy a 1954 Porsche to race. And the guy sitting across from us said that there's one in my backyard in Australia. So I was in France and I bought the car that was back in Australia. So you can't ask for better, really. <laughs> That's serendipity, isn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so you have campaigned it for many years? Absolutely, yeah. We run it here in Australia. We run it all around Australia and different tracks. And we've also got a cabrio that we run on the east coast of America. And we've uh, had uh, quite huge success with that one, but... That's a 62 model, so it's a bit faster than my 54. What's it like driving one of those? It must be the real, well, forgive the sexism, but boys' own adventure, really, because you are, well, you have little of the modern features on the car that would make it more controllable. You, you would be driving in some of the, the, the very raw elements of controlling a vehicle? That's you 100% correct there. We run drum brakes, cross-ply tyres. We're not allowed to change the shock absorbers. There's a lot of things that we can't do. I get out of a late-model Porsche into this old one and give me the old car any day of the week. You actually, you've, you've got to feel what you're doing. If you make a mistake, you know about it. Uh, you drive a late-model car, you make a mistake, it corrects you. Hmm. So it's, it's real good good old-fashioned driving i think i haven't seen all the video i had a, i saw a little bit at the beginning there and there's this glorious picture was it a corvette in a in a four-wheel slide going around the corner as you say on, on those pretty basic tires that's uh, that's really being at the heart of the mechanical feel of a car isn't it oh absolutely but the, and but the upside of that is because the cross plays don't have much traction it's a lot easier to have the car sliding like that. Hmm. It looks a lot more spectacular, and that's it, proper old-school racing. Some of the cars you, you, you went against, uh, you were saying, uh, sold for millions of dollars. I think one of them in the event was uh, Ferrari at $68 million. Uh, did, Correct. Can you drive a car like that, or does the owner drive it with gay abandon? If I, pardon the expression, I didn't mean that, but you know, an old expression. Did it, did, or could you just be so conscious of the price? No, $68 million is a lot. 
of uh, repair time if you do have an accident. So it's pretty hard to write one off. But the, the only thing really that I would say that is scary with those cars on the track is us overtaking them. <laughs> because if we, if we were to hit them, whether we're in the right or the wrong, I think you're going to be in the wrong somehow or other. Well, the, the other thing is if they can afford that car, they can afford a good lawyer, can't they? Is that... uh, yeah, well, the, guy that the, the car that you're talking about is owned by the guy that owns Walmart, so I don't think you'd have a problem <laughs> somehow or other. <laughs> I think you also had uh, Mika Hakkinen was driving there. Yes. Yeah, Mika Hakkinen's been there. Uh, we come second last year or the year before to a TZ1 driven by um, Rubens Barrichello. So they get a lot of big names out there, a lot of big names. Uh, uh, Mika Hakkinen is, of course, a former Formula One champion. Yeah. And he was driving a McLaren, I think. That's a pretty serious Correct, yeah. bit of kit, isn't it? Oh, it's, that, that is an awesome car. It wasn't in our class, thank Christ. We'd never catch it. Um, but the just to watch them things go down the straight and... Just brings back like the old school racing, as I said before, and that's unbeatable. Do they have a number of categories on the track at the one time, or is it just your category? No, they just keep one category on at each time, because the speed differentiation would be so big. Yeah, you know, like the, imagine that McLaren; yeah. it would go past us like we're standing still down the straights, and that's when accidents happen. The circuit there has a number of very interesting corners, including one where you go over the crest and and go down to the left. Is it a circuit that you know well, and did you take yes, time to learn it? No, we learned it by driving it. Hmm. And the corner you're talking about is it's, it's a world-famous corner called the Corkscrew. That's hmm. uh, where you come up to a, at an entry speed of probably around about 80 mile an hour, and then you turn left and you cannot see nothing. <laughs> and as soon as you turn left, you've just got to turn right and hope there's no one there because it, it drops about six stories in a matter of 30 feet. How does the little Porsche go around that? It loves it. It... it it drops down, it sticks its rear end down, and it just slides down there nicely. So it's fantastic. People love watching it. They're lifting wheels through the corners. It's fantastic. You would not be the most powerful car in your category? No way in the world. Not at all. But we drive it in really deep, and cornering is where you make up most of your speed. Mm. We may lose a bit down the straight, but then when they're all braking and slowing down, we just keep going. Is there a camaraderie amongst that? There's some very rich people who could be somewhat standoffish. Is there a good sense of feel at the event? Absolutely. Everyone is very, very open to anything really, showing each other the cars, showing the spectators, the fans, the cars. You you don't have any problems at all as far as that. It's got my blood pumping, Uh, Ron. I appreciate it. And I thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ron. No problems at all. Thank you. And that's Ron Goodman, who won his class in the Rolex Monterey Motorsport Reunion in California in a Porsche 356 And as we talked, what a lovely uh, sense of that great style of old, old style of motor racing. This is Overdrive across Australia. And here we are again, finally, to talk about some unusual news stories. Now, the next time you get Lyft, that is L-Y-F-T, which is a ride-sharing scheme in the Uber characteristic, it is also quite successful but far less argumentative than Uber. But what they may be able to do is stop at Taco Bell, obviously an American initiative in this way, on your way home, and then you will be able to pay for it through the charging mechanism for your lift, for your ride. So they're combining the two together. Errol, 
Errol Smith, this is a very modern trend of not just holding your attention in one thing, but trying to embrace you in as many things as possible. Mm. And it's a convenience thing too, because you just have the one charge to your credit card or whatever. And, well, this uh, is the principle of the internet of everything. We think, might have thought that that meant that your fridge will be able to go to the internet, as it will, and it will measure whether you've run out of milk and be able to tell you. But it's also that they start to connect them together. For example, they connect your alarm clock to your coffee maker. And mm. if you keep pressing the sleep in, then it makes your coffee more stronger because it... <laughs> It's a sense that you are having a tough time waking up. Hmm. I, I think there was even a, an alarm clock that was a coffee machine, so it woke you up with the, the smell of fresh coffee. <laughs> yes, but not only to do the two things together at the same time, you know, when appropriate, but also to change the nature of them based on the input from the other machine. Yeah, they've given it a name. This they, they actually call it taco mode. So you put your lift app into taco mode. And you you get your taco on the on the way through. I want what I want to see, David, is hangover mode, mm. where it includes a nice greasy donut kebab on the on your way home, <laughs> and and it automatically tips the driver for for helping to bundle you out of the out of the car and into your home before you pass out. Oh, well, is there a cleaning fee? <laughs> yes, automatically. Possibly based on the smell from our, our last week's story yes. that you might be able to do it. Oh, the, the issue is, does the driver get a little bit more money because he's had to wait around and he then has to smell your food while you go home? I don't know. Maybe there's a, an incentive there to, to get him something while, you, while you're at Taco Bell. Maybe, maybe uh, you can pay your, your Lyft driver in tacos. Okay, because yeah, the interesting thing is how the company, I thought you, it might have been that, that there is this sort of Bitcoin principle that I'm not just giving you hard cash, but I'm giving you something in return, which means, of course, that it's not taxed. A, virtu a virtual currency, David, that can't yes. be traced. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Maybe tacos could be the new virtual currency. <laughs> Now, Errol, uh, talking about that, there has been situations of people selling fast food that are surprised by the vehicle that turns up. Mm. Yeah, well, in Washington recently, a reporter for NBC noticed a van driving along with apparently nobody at the wheel until he looked a bit closer and realised there was a man driving the van, but that he was hiding inside the seat. I don't mean he was in the seat. I mean, he was inside the seat. Okay, yes. he had the beads over him, did yeah, he? That, yes, and and was it some kind of trick or a very late April Fool's joke? Well, no, it turns out it's a genuine experiment by the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute. Basically, they wanted to see how people react to driverless cars in the real world. That is a car that has nobody in the front seats. But they didn't have an actual driverless car to do the testing with, so they faked one with a seat, they call it a seat suit, for the driver. <laughs> He's got to be a fairly small lad, hasn't he? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and I stuck his head in the headrest. I'm not sure what you'd do with the results of that research. If a car drives up and there's no one driving it, well, you get a shock in the short term, but once they become common, it's hardly going to be a staggering thing. No, well, they were sort of reversing what 
of most of the research around these cars is because most of the research is getting the car to react to what's in its environment whereas this is researching how the environment reacts to the car so the people in the environment and they call these wizard of oz experiments because even though it sort of seems artificial there's actually a mad scientist controlling it all (laughs) Uh, a little bloke if i remember the bloke If I remember The Wizard of Oz, it was a little bloke behind the computer. Yes, yeah. The interesting part is that they originally they just drove around normally, but then they started to, if they were at an intersection, for example, and there were pedestrians crossing, they'd start to inch forward just to see how people would react to a, a driverless car potentially doing something that might be not in their best interests. Do they film the people? Is yeah, that all? It's all, they're all covered in they've got cameras and things all over them. And then they would stop after they'd been around, they'd stop and they'd interview the pedestrians. See, I still don't know what that interview's. You know, I was scared. Yes. Well, what are you going to do my, with that result? A lot of people didn't really pay much attention to it. A lot of people said they didn't even notice there wasn't a driver. <laughs> oh, okay. That's interesting because there's a, a feeling that there's concern about things like tinted windows that it stops eye-to-eye contact Mm. and there's a movement that wants to remove traffic lights certainly in local village areas in the notion that if people just go through a given take it's a much more community type way of dealing with things rather than a legalistic way of red lights and green lights Mm. But you can't do that unless you can see the person and you can't see the person unless you're looking. And if people aren't looking, well, then maybe that's the conclusion of the research. Mm. Yeah, well, we've covered uh, in the past that they're thinking of putting faces, for want of a better description, on the front of cars so that the car will smile when it's recognised that you're you're about to cross, you want to cross the pedestrian crossing. Because normally when you want to cross at a pedestrian crossing, you look at the driver to make sure he's actually noticed you. But when there isn't a driver, then, then what do you do? I've said this if with automatic parking. Automatic parking, the thing goes in there. I wanted to say, yes, yes, I can see the pillar. Don't worry. Huh? Yes. I, I wanted to give that sort of feedback. Whereas if it can see it clearly and it knows it's going to miss it, it might not give me any pill. I don't know that it's going to miss it. I want it to tell me. Yeah, yeah. Be nice if it sort of had a display showing you all the things it recognised in the surroundings. If I said something like, the pillar, the pillar, the car could say, no, don't worry, David, I've got that under control. Yes, don't worry, David, I saw the pillar. <laughs> Relax. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we've tested quite a few cars that have automatic parking in them now. It always concerns me that the, the automatic parking seems to park much closer to the gutter than I would have. <laughs> Are you going to scrape those expensive alloys like the computer? Or the door. (laughs) Yeah, or the door, yes. And scrape it on the footpath. Yes, fortunately, I'd have to say that nothing's happened yet. Okay. But there's a first time for everything. I just think there's a million little nuances that a machine may make its own mind up, so to speak, about what you want. But Mm. that might not be what you want, really. No, no. Uh, David, and, and you've got a, a follow-up story on, on people getting confused about people and bus and seats. Well, yes, this is a case of someone who's not in the seat, but they assumed it was. And it takes on the intelligent level of many of this anti-immigration groups that rant 
about things, but take a story on face value immediately and blow it out of all proportion. An anti-immigration group in Norway has been mocked after mistaking a photo of empty bus seats for six Muslim women wearing burqas. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is... It's... It's cut hard to do justice on radio, but this is a photo of six bus seats that yes. are empty. <laughs> it is. It's slightly out of focus. Um, yes, of course. But if someone said that you were, they were, you know, women in burkas, before you saw the photo, perhaps maybe you might think they were. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, or you might, or you might wonder why they all have exactly the same pattern on their burqa. And also well, that, there's, that there's nowhere for there, there's actually no slit for their eyes or anything. Well, you've raised a point there, Errol. Pattern on their burqa. I don't think burqas are made for display of artistic merit. You know, so the idea of having a pattern on a burqa may have raised a certain issue with you hmm. if you were thinking. I nearly said if you were thinking clearly, but I'll leave yes, it at that. Yes, if yeah. you were thinking, yes. But uh, apparently, it was it was actually a bit of a, a let's call it an experiment by someone who would see basically did it on purpose to see how many people would fall for it. Yeah, and yes, quite a few did. It happened the other day on a news story the ABC ran, and they put up a Middle Eastern map, and they put the names of various countries in there, and they didn't put Israel. And then this stream of abuse came out, particularly started by one person but picked up by many, saying they're doing the job of the Palestinians of wiping out Israel and so on. The actual map was put up to say which countries had a certain law and which ones didn't, and that there were some that were in the middle, I think. And so they only put those that did or clearly did or clearly didn't, hmm. and Israel wasn't one of them. Yeah, so and they so didn't put a name on it. Yeah, I think I saw that story yeah, too. Yeah, but, sure that's uh, not. people are easily incensed if they're already a little bit on the uh, extreme side of the confirmational bias. Yes, I'm amazed at how we cannot discuss something, considering that there may be two sides of an argument, and we might like try and get in as much information as we can before we make it up. And even if I did make a mistake. Is it intended with such vehemency that uh, it's against somebody? I, I just, mm. I'm finding the whole debate about a range of subjects to be very, very frustrating, very yes, dis yes, discouraging. I think uh, at the end of the day, this actually just, the result of this was basically a lot of egg on the faces of all these extremists. It just made them see how, how silly the, and extreme their views were. I said it made them look silly. Let me say it made them look sillier. Yes, yes, that's probably more accurate, David. Errol, it's always good to get into the technical details with you on issues to do with motoring transport. And as always, I thank you very much for your time. No worries, David. Errol Smith, talking some quirky news. This has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, David Campbell, Ron Goodman and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. 
You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.